Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Okay, Dad, we're on to our next podcast. And uh, so we'll start off right off the bat, like we said we were going to do. What kind of caught your eye this week in the National Hockey League? Well, what caught my eye was what's going on with Montreal. I mean, uh, everybody's saying, oh, Montreal, let's fire the coaches. Let's go on. You don't fire the coaches. The goalies are, are horseshit. They are. I mean, let's face it. And you know what I think of Price. I mean, I had him in the prospect game, but uh, he's just playing terrible. I mean, Montreal outshoots the Devils. I, I, I wrote it down here. 48-34, to 34, and they lost 6-4. Outshot the Boston, 37-24, to 24, and they lose 8-1. Uh, outshot the Rangers 43 to 34. They lose 6-5. Outshoot the Flyers 42 to 29. They lose 4-3. I mean, so what do you so what do you do in a situation like that? You uh, you know what I you, I like I, you know I, people will tell them what you, you should bench them. You bench Price. Yeah. Get somebody up there that's going to if you're going to lose you you got to you you got to get them mad. He doesn't look like he's mad. He's broke his stick. I know he broke his stick. I watched all the games. He broke his stick. Doesn't make any difference. Nothing wrong with the coaching. When you get 44 shots a game. Yeah. So when you had Cheevers and he was kind of in a slump like this. I'd bench him a couple of games. Yeah. And uh, not bench him. I mean, you don't bench him. You can't bench Price. But take him out. He's having a tough time. I, I go back to Patrick Waugh. Remember the time he was getting his brains pounded out? He left him in there. You, sometimes you have to have a, you have a mercy pulling. And I remember Hardy Astrum. This is a true story. We're in, uh, we're in New York Rangers. We're getting 6 nothing. And I said to Kevin Morrison, I said, he was playing defense. I said, he's getting ready to bail. He's looking over here wanting to come out. And I knew, and New Jersey owners were there watching. They're from New Jersey. And I said, I am not, well, I'm going down. I'm going, he's going to go down with me. And he's looking to bail. I said, when he, t- Kevin, keep your eye on him because the next whistle, he's going to try to bail out of here. Just keep him in there. And sure enough, he started to come out. Kevin, I pushed him back in the net. I'm the only guy that pushed my goalie back in the net. No, goalies aren't going good. You can't leave him in there. You got to pull him out there. You got to give him a little mercy pulling sometimes. But uh, no, there's no problem. There's no problem with the Montreal. When you get 44 shots a game, I don't care who you are. You should be winning some games. You're scoring enough goals. Uh, your goaltending is a problem. That's a problem in Montreal. For instance, in Florida, I mean, they, they put the first. They put that Chris Drake, Drager, I think that's how you pronounce it. They put him in. He's from Winnipeg. Good Winnipeg boy, and he wins the first game. You got it. You got to try shutout. You got a shutout. You put them in. You, you know, you bring them up from the American Hockey League. The way they go. I mean, you just can't keep if the guy's in a a guy's in a bad situation and he can't stop pucks. Once goaltender loses his confidence, as anybody will tell you, they're done. Yeah. Just a, a, a little quick footnote, uh, like this week in hockey. Back in 1979, your coach in Colorado, and Billy Smith scores the first goal of a goalie. So yeah, tell we, us- pull, we must have pulled our goalie. The, what happened is uh, uh, they've got a delayed penalty. And I remember uh, Rob Ramage, God love him. He's a great guy. I really liked him. And he's in behind the net. 
And I remember he had the puck. You know, a delayed penalty. He passes back to the point where he should have been. So I remember I was on the bench, and I'm looking at – I wouldn't look, eh? But you have an idea it's going in, eh? Because just the way it's going. And I'm looking in the eyes of Wilf Paymont. He was on the bench. He says, Wilf, is it going in? He says, I think it is, Grapes. I says, how's it going now? He says, I think it's going in, Grapes. And they scored, and uh, they give Billy Smith the, the first goal. He didn't really – he made a stop. And I went to Ramage, so that was, that was the first goal. Yeah, Hextall was the first guy to shoot the puck in the net. Yeah, I remember uh, Hextall was, uh, he, he wouldn't have done it if he hadn't been up by two goals. He was taking a chance. I remember he stopped, the, caught the puck, sat it down, and put it over top of everybody. And there, but he wouldn't have done that if it hadn't been one goal. Yeah. But, but, in, with but in that game, uh, we, Colorado, came back. We won 7-4. That, that tied the game up at 4-4, 7-4, and... The first star was a good friend of yours, Ron DeLorme, had two goals. Hey, Ron DeLorme, I could tell you a story, but I remember De- Ron DeLorme. Uh, when Boston Bruins, we had the toughest team. We had, we had No doubt we had the toughest team in sports, never mind hockey. Anyhow, he scores a goal, and he goes down on his knee, and he pulls like he pulls out an arrow out of his back, and he fires at our bench. We were shocked. Like, did I just see what he just said? I said to the guy, I said, yeah. I think he fought three guys after that. Wensig, O'Reilly, and Secord. I think anyhow they had. They, I mean, he was a dandy. In fact, yeah, Ryan Delorme. Now that I think of it, we get talking. I remember at training camp when I first went to Colorado, we had um, Mike Gillis. Oh yeah, we went. Well, we, Mike Gillis was the number one draft choice, and he floated the whole camp. But anyhow, I thought he floated soft. And Ronnie DeLorme, he, he, he was making no money. And, and remember, Mike Gillis, was I think he was the number one guy, and he was making the most money, or him and Becker, I think, were, were tied. Anyhow, I made a decision then. Do I keep Ronnie DeLorme, who was nothing? He was making about twenty grand or eighteen grand or something like that, which is a lot of money, but not as a hockey player. I mean, he was nothing. And I said, do I keep him, or do I keep the number one draft choice? Well... I had to make a big decision. It really was a big decision because I knew if I kept the number one guy, Mike Gillis, I would be all right, you know, everything. couldn't say anything. But if I kept Ronnie DeLorme, that means he could go to the owner and the, the GM was Ray Muron. I'd say, see what he's doing? He's, he's, keeping, he's setting our number one draft choice down and he's keeping this kid DeLorme. All right, I knew I was getting fired then and I did get fired, but Ronnie DeLorme, boy, I think he's a Chiefs out for the Vancouver now. He's a beauty. He's a great kid. You know, I got to talk about a guy I really like uh, for Vancouver is uh, Tanner Pearson. I know yeah, people don't talk much about him. They talk about all the other guys. He's from Kitchener. Good guy. At four points, the Canucks win 5-2 or the orders. I tell you, guys like uh, Tanner, that's the guys you win with. When the, old, when the going gets tough, they're there. Well, Tim, you and I have been watching a guy for a long time. His name is Shane Wright. And I think about I think 15 years old. Yeah, plays for Kingston in the OHL. Yeah, he was he was one of those exceptional guys. They, yeah. Right. So he you have to be 16 to be a, a rookie in the OHL, and he got exceptional status, and he's 15. And the other guys have been last guy that got that was Connor McDavid. I tell you, I really like Shane Wright, and you're and the guy's going to be telling me about him. He got 20 point. He's got 20 points in 21 game. He's plus three. And he had, and Kingston hasn't got too many winning goals this year. It's kind of tough. 
They got three game-winning goals. Uh, he's a beaut. Remember the name when I tell you Shane Wright, he's going to be a beauty. You know, I have to talk about Dougie Hamilton. He played for Carolina, and he's from Toronto. Uh, 27 games. That's pretty good for a defensive boy. He doesn't get the, doesn't get the PR he should. 27 games. He's got 28 points. He's plus 15, and he's got two game-winning goals. Dougie Hamilton. Uh, he, should, he should get more recognition, and he does on this podcast. Well, Dad, one of the guests that we had on the Grapevine Show, who uh, I think was one of the, the funnier guests, and, and uh, a lot of people back then really wanted to hear from him, was uh, King Clancy. He didn't think much of my plan, did he? I guess no. he saw me play. <laughs> I, think, I think he said, I, I think I said, um, I don't understand it, King. I said, back in the 30s, you got $15,000, and I said, and the 60s, when I played in the 70s, I only got 5000 He says, that's all you were worth. Yeah. But anyhow, after his playing days, I, I, I remember him after his playing days and everything. He used to be around the gardens all the time. And I remember Harold Ballard. I remember reading the story about Harold Ballard went up to him, and he said he was like the assistant coach and assistant uh, GM. And he says, what are you doing around here, King? He said, "Absolutely nothing." He says, "Keep it up. You're doing a good job." Yeah, he did. He he did it. He did everything, King Clancy. He played every position, and was a ref. He was a ref. He was a GM. He was a coach. He was assistant coach. Uh, I think. He, I mean, he was. I think he's 65 years. He was a. He was everything. He's a Hall of Fame guy. He always seemed to be smiling. I used to see him when I bring the Bruins in there. He always seemed to be smiling, even when we beat them. He's a small guy. Eh? He was only about five foot eight. Um, he said he had a million fights. And he only won one. Imagine. I mean, hey, he said he beat up Eddie Shore. Yeah, no, that's hard to believe. I tell you, I won't feel like he got his name. You know, I often wondered. I had to read. I read in the pick. I wonder why I got the name King. He got it from his dad. I guess his dad was just as cocky as him. Um, he started. He had nine seasons. I guess with the Senators, and. Um, they won the cup, but he, he was a dandy and everything. And I remember reading about um, uh, Con Smythe. He really wanted him, eh? And Con Smythe didn't have the money. He just built the gardens and everything. And he, he had a horse, I think his name, a royal, a rare jewel. And uh, he made $35,000. Imagine $35,000 on a bet like that. And he bought King Clancy from the Senators. I think he paid fifteen grand to get him back. He was a beauty. He was. I, he looked like a little leprechaun. He was so. He was so. He used to. I remember one time seeing it in the in TV later on that he, they brought him out on the with a, he was on, on St. Patrick's Day. He was always a big guy on St. Patrick's Day. He was sure funny. I tell you what, he was one of those guys you just asked the question in the, the grapevine and away he went. Don't think he was just a, a guy that hung around and and I make I make him sound like uh, you know like he didn't do much and I. I remember, I remember this when, when uh, Punch it was exhaustion. He was like, you know, he, he said he was exhausted. He went to the hospital, and he filled in, and they were having a tough time at the time. And he only lost one game out of ten, I think it was. And, and uh, so he was a good coach. Well, he brought in a different, you know, and uh, Punch was a pretty tough guy, boy. <laughs> the way Punch coached back in those days. I remember one time Punch. You have to get, I have to tell stories about Punch, but I just think it just hit me now. We were in Cleveland one time, and I was playing on defense with a guy named Bob Armstrong, and he was mad at me for some reason. And I and he used to sit up in the back, and uh, he says, "Bob Armstrong," and think of a Bob. <laughs> and I wouldn't go on till he read my name, and he benched he benched me the whole game. Anyhow, he filled in for Punch, and he did a great job, and they won the cup that year. 
And a few years later, uh, Johnny McClellan was a coach for, um, for the Leafs. And uh, I remember he got sick, ulcers or something, filled in for him again. I mean, he really was, uh, 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 he did everything. There's nothing he didn't do. In fact, in one game, he played every position. Uh, he, and you're going to say, well, how could he play goal? Well, when he first started out, if the goalie got thrown out of the game or he heard he couldn't play, he had to put a player in and he went in and played goal. I mean, I, I've been at banquets where he has, and he was absolutely fantastic. Uh, when, he, when he do a banquet, I always made sure the two guys you never, three guys that I can remember you never spoke to after. Red Story was one. I have to do. We have to do a story on him someday. King Clancy was the other, and you made sure you never spoke uh, after Dennis Hall because he was the absolute best. But King Clancy, they, everybody loved him at the banquets. You know, the one thing that I found interesting in, in the interview was that uh, he said he was on the ice with, with the uh, Eddie Shore-Ace Bailey incident where Eddie Shore hit. Ace Bailey, he was a great hockey player back in the 30s. Yeah, and uh, he, he, there was a big incident where Eddie Shore hit him and he fell and he hit his head and he almost, he almost died. But the last rights, they thought he was dead. And um, I read a lot of, you know, you read a lot of things about it, but King Clancy gave first-hand account of what happened. So... Um, we're going to hear King Clancy talk about the Eddie Shore Ace Bailey incident. Played many times in where you were set up, you know, in Boston. Oh, yeah. I, oh, I, uh, they were nice, quiet. Eddie Shore. Quite, quite holy, quite nice, quiet guy. Yeah. <laughs> Ace but Bailey, I, you, you, there, you were there when he did yes, it Yes, I Bailey. was the responsible for that. Oh, I didn't read that. Yeah, well, I was responsible. Well, tell them what happened uh, first. Well, here, Shore came down. Or I went down to the Boston end with the puck. How I got there, I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, Shore tripped me. And I came back. He's got the puck. I came back. And here he is coming in our defense. And I said to him, come back here again. I said, I'm waiting for you. He said, I'll be right back. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like, like it was nothing. Of course, Shore could eat me, you know. But not as long as I had the stick. The old equalizer. <laughs> so anyway, he did come back. And I gave him the knee. He went flying. And Bailey picked up my position on the right side. And he hit Bailey on the forehead, spun him upside down, and Bailey hit his head on yeah. the ice. And then Red Horner come off the bench and they say the game is rough today, ooh. <laughs> you know, it, and hit, he took a shot at Shore. Off his nose, didn't he? Yeah, he did, he knocked him right, it flattered him on a plate. Yeah, <laughs> and Ace almost, uh, that was almost it for Ace, eh? But he, that he was made it, it back. Ace, Ace Bailey, uh, Don never played again. Well, I think that, I think that, and I remember reading about it, uh, about uh, where I read Horner absolutely went bananas and nailed him as he went up and said something to him, and Eddie Shore smirked. And, boy, I tell you, he knocked him cold. I, I guess they, and it was really something, like King said, two guys on the stretcher being taken off. Now, you know, you know I, have, I have, have more people come up and ask me about Eddie Shore. They don't really know about Eddie Shore. I, I, I think I should, uh, I could go on for the next four shows about Eddie Shore. I, I was there for three and a half years, time being sent out and uh i was there at, at his worst as they said darth Vader, he was a darth vader oh, I'll, I'll tell you how bad it was in springfield if you were a bad guy if you were in new york and you 
they didn't like you or uh, the coach didn't like you or something like that. And you were sent, they, they sent you to Springfield. It was like Devil's Island. I mean, it, it was terrible there. And he treated everybody mean. He really did, except for a few guys. I'll tell you about them later. But, at, like, I, I remember Larry Cahan got sent down. Uh, Larry Cahan. He must have thought I was nuts because I laughed at this guy. I think he was from Toronto and he ended up in Vancouver. This guy used to make me laugh just looking at him. And, and he must have thought I was insane because nobody else laughed at him. I remember a card game. We used to, we used to take the, the back seat out and lift it up and put it in the middle and we'd play blackjack. It should never, should never allowed it, but we did it anyhow. And I remember he, uh, and he's down a lot of money. And what we did was how we played blackjack is you put some in, you took it out, took it in. And the next guy put, took, you could take it all or take it parts of it. And he took it all. I think it was 44, 44 some dollars, in the, you know, left pile in the middle. And he had, and he got blackjack. <laughs> so, we, you know, that's kind of happy. I like Larry Cahan. And, and the dealer got blackjack too. Well, when the dealer gets the other, you know, gets blackjack, you lose. You have to, and you have to match the pot. So he's mad. Like he is really mad. And this guy, Billy McCreary, used to just watch all the time. So he's got to say something about somebody. And he says, he looked up and he te- he's so mad. He said, what are you looking at, pike eyes? <laughs> I looked at Julie McCreary. He did have pike eyes. I mean, I could tell you stories about Larry and Cahan. One time, they had a stupid rule that, that a rule, just general managers and owners were so stupid. You drove halfway. Like, say, say you were in Springfield and you're going to Rochester, you drive halfway, you get it, you get halfway, you'd freeze to death and you go to some motel, you wouldn't get to sleep till three o'clock because the beds hadn't been slept in in six months, and then they'd get you up at seven, you had a half hour for, for breakfast, and I remember it was so cold outside, the bus driver used to put in ether, so I never had breakfast, nobody had breakfast. So I was, I thought I was the first guy on and the door opened and I came in and there was Larry Cahan sitting at the back. <laughs> he had a big Stetson on and he was, he was, had cards, he was playing the cards, ready for the card game. I collapsed from laughing. He must've thought I was crazy. Another time I'm getting carried away with Larry Cahan, but I have to tell you this story. He went to Glenn Sommer, our coach, and he says, you know, my mother's very sick in Toronto. He said, uh, we played in Buffalo, and he said, I'd like to go visit her. Well, we all knew his mother wasn't sick. but And so Glenn saw more. He said, well, sure, you know, but don't forget, we're practicing. Uh, we're practicing tomorrow morning in Stamford Arena, Stamford, Ontario. I'll be there. I'll visit my mother, and I, you know. So he went out, and he had his buddies, and he got just blitzed. Eh? And uh, so we, and, and in Stamford Arena, you go down, and we went in the dressing room, and there he was. Laying there on the bench, and he had beautiful, he had, hair, he had beautiful hat, beautiful nice fedora, gloves, and everything. And he's laying there, and he's fast asleep, you know. And they, his, his buddies must have taken him, you know, and put him. And he is fast asleep. We thought he was dead. He's laying there. He was so white. So he, he got him dressed. We got him dressed, and everything. And we got on the ice, and we're doing the stupid rules that we did. And he come on the ice. <laughs> He had us in stitches. He kept hollering, ole, ole. He kept through it. And he fell to the ice. And he started, he was so dry, he started to lick the ice. Oh, I could go on about him. I, I did the whole show about Larry Cahan. Oh, one more story. 
So now he kind of liked me, and he must have thought I was crazy. So he had a he was getting married in Toronto, and Rose and I come we we come up to Toronto. We drove from Kingston, and we drove up man and. Uh, we're sitting there, and uh, I look back, and Larry's coming down the thing, and he, his legs are monstrous legs, and he must have rented the tux. It looked like he had leotards on. I started to laugh and was rose mad. And the more I tried not to laugh, and here I am, everybody's, you know, and, and I'm killing myself. Larry Cahan, boy, he, I could go on and on and on, but I don't want to. I, I just look at him. Everybody thought I was nuts. But what am I talking about? Oh, yeah, Eddie, Eddie Shore. Shore. Oh, we had a lot of fun, I'll tell you, boy. Uh, you, know, I, you know, I was a young guy. I was only 22 years old. Boston Bruins were mad at me. They sent me to uh, Floyd Smith and I. He must have done something wrong, too. Sent us to, uh, trade us to, I uh, forget it, Doug Don Simmons, I think. Anyhow, he set, trade us to Eddie Shores. Like, you, you couldn't you So you went, get... from, went from Hershey, and they traded you to Springfield. Yeah. yeah. And I thought, you know, I, I did something wrong. I played baseball when I shouldn't baseball and I hurt my shoulder anyhow I get there I was his whipping boy I was one of those guys that he did not like he, I tell you he liked some guys he liked uh, Brian Kilray was his favorite and I remember when Brian first come out we were sitting in a bar and everything and he said oh, I like Eddie Shore I like Eddie Shore Brian and I became the best of friends after but he said I like Eddie Shore I like Eddie Shore he said, I said you like you say one more time you like Eddie Shore I'm going to knock you right off that stool. He really was his really was his uh, his favorite uh, was Bride Kilray. There was he had some other he had, Jerry Eman was one of his and Kenny Schickel, we used to call him the Rat, uh, but he, he he was they were his favorites like that. But Brian Kilray was his automatic favorite. Yeah. Well, we have we have a clip of Brian. Brian was on the Grapevine show a few times, and he, he told us. Uh, well, you can take a listen to it about how Eddie uh, wanted him to skate and how he made him kind of uh, practice. Now, you're the only guy ever happy to go to shore. Yeah, I, I chose it. Matter you chose fact, to go yeah, to shore. Because I was. I like chose to go to Devil's Island. <laughs> As it turned out, that uh, I was in Troy, Ohio, and uh, what league was that? International League, and Eddie Shore came down to scout us, and um, our goaltender got hurt in one of the games. So I put the pads on and finished the game. They only got one goal against me in the half a game. And then the next game, I was back as a forward and <coughs> got a couple of goals. So I guess Eddie saw both and figured this guy must be nuts. He deserves to be in Springfield. So he came down and he, he offered me a contract. But what happened was the guy in Troy, I was the most valuable player. And he, I was supposed to get a diamond ring for being the most valuable player, as well as one of the lowest paid players. And uh, I always carried that on because I was end up that way with Eddie. Uh, but anyway, he didn't give me the ring because I'd won it the year before. And I said, that's fine. Then I won't sign with you next year. I took a cut to go to Springfield. Jesus. What a I was quite a businessman. You play, you skated just like he wanted guys to skate. He wanted you to skate like you were sitting in a chair with your backside behind your skates and this way here, the hands out in front of you. And I was a good disciple because I did skate sort of funny. And he thought it was great. Oh, he, you, you were the favorite son. Tell us a few of his exercises. Well, he'd get you on the ice, and uh, one that he did with me, uh, I'll never forget the first year I joined the team, and it really uh, left an impression so much that I still remember it. He put a stick down the back of my sweater, so I had to skate that way. He taped my hands and my gloves to my stick 
with just the width of my body, not quite as wide as it is now. In those days, it was a little thinner body, but your hands were taped to your stick here, and then he put a lace around my knee so I couldn't take a long stride, and he said, skate. Well, as it turned out, I could skate because it I, was perfect. I just used to take those short, choppy strides anyway, and so actually he was mad because I could do it right off the bat, and he started making me do turns, and that's when I, when I was trying to do those fancy turns, I fell, then I got mad and I threw my stick, but I forgot my gloves were with it. Yeah. <laughs> How about Georgie Wood? Georgie Woods, a poor guy. Georgie, uh, I don't know how he ended up staying there and taking the abuse that he did. He never played a game or very seldom played, but he kept a cheery note and he was always a good team man. Remember how he kept him from going down? Yes. With the rope? With the rope, yeah. Yeah, that's nice. uh, yeah when they used to, uh, Eddie devised a way to keep goaltenders standing up. Uh, I think it was the old ox, the Bobby Sr. that was the first. The ox, Bobby Sr. They put the uh, rope around the neck and then tied to the goalpost and said, now go down. <laughs> <laughs> goaltenders are smart. They knew when not to fall. <laughs> remember Pat Egan? You remember the day, were you there the day I broke my stick over the coach? I was on the uh, Black Ace uh, scene with you that day, Don. You were my partner. And I uh, remember f he gave you a two-handed slash and you came back and I said, I'll get him. I said, no, he's the coach. He said, I don't care. And uh, Pat Egan was really strong. And he came, came by and Don gave him a two and a cross check, broke his stick over his shoulder. That's he never problem. wore pads. No, he was a tough guy. And he, you broke it. Not that tough, though. No, I, I thought you were gone, but that came later. <laughs> Yeah, the next day, next day I ended up in Three Rivers. I got, a, I got a story. It reminds me of Pat Egan, since you brought up Pat Egan. But one year, we had played in Buffalo in the middle of winter. And I know an awful lot of you people know this fellow. Floyd Smith was my winger, and he was on the bus. It's a true story. Anyway, uh, one of the players didn't make the bus call. And it's 9 o'clock. We're leaving for, to go to Hershey. And as it turned out, it was Bill Sweeney, and he had just missed the bus call. And anyway, Pat, yeah, well, he sometimes uh, missed him because he was having a late coffee. <laughs> anyway, as he turned out, he, uh, he, Pat said, okay, I'm going to go get him, and so you guys wait here. So naturally, we're all on the bus waiting to go to Hershey. Well, as it turned out, we all had our coats off ready for the card game because it's going to be an eight-hour trip of which we were going to receive a dollar and a half for lunch. <laughs> anyway, the, uh, as he left, Floyd Smith uh, just happened to say, well, I'm going to go get a couple of coffees. There's a little restaurant right around the corner. No, I'll tell you what it was. Keep your train of thought. I was sitting there. He says, grapes, I'm going in to get a big Coke. Remember, he used to drink the big Cokes, but go ahead. Yeah, and anyway, he says, I'm just going to go away, so just watch out for me and don't leave. Anyway, as it turned out, he goes around the corner to this little store. Now, across the street comes Pat uh, helping Bill Sweeney. He got the bag and everything. It was actually like the movies because... When he went to pack, I guess some of the, some of the, uh, the didn't really close, and he just banged it, and the clothes were hanging out. We thought it was actually comical. So when he got on the bus, Bill was a natural funny guy. Anyway, he comes down the aisle and says, let's get the cards going. So everyone really forgot about Floyd. Yeah. And so we're, we just took off. Egan says, let's get this bus rolling. Now Floyd comes out of the restaurant in the middle of winter with short sleeve shirts on this, a true short sleeve sleeve show. That's an easy one, but anyway, short sleeves, and he's standing there. I thought it was a coffee, but anyway, whether it was a Coke or not, and he thought it was a joke that the bus was just going to go around the block and come back and pick him up. And he told us later, after a half an hour, he knew it wasn't a joke. <laughs> he, he walked over to the Buffalo Arena, and uh, Freddie Hunt was a general manager yeah. in those days. He walked over to the arena, asked Freddie would he loan him some money, had to fly down to catch the team in Hershey, but he had to fly to Harrisburg and then taxi over to Hershey. He got there ahead of us all right, but the funniest line is when he went to the airport, now he's all frozen and he's cold and he's everything else and he's mad and now he's broke. And he went to the airline ticket and the, the girl says, yes, where are you going? Got a ticket? Yeah. 
She says, do you have any luggage? Floyd says, do you think I'd be walking around in the middle of winter if I had any luggage to check? <laughs> so anyway, that was one of the stories about poor Floyd that uh, I always felt bad that someone forgot him. Yeah, and he told me. Uh, listen, uh, Pat, remember Pat Egan on the thing? We're going along, all of a sudden we hit a partridge. Remember that? Yeah. Tell that story. And everybody was fighting for the partridge because they're all going to say, I'll get it cooked, I'll get it cooked. Finally, uh, as a glass flew into the yeah. seats, this is a true smash story. Just whole... smash it. Luckily, it caught the second one and not the one by the driver. Flew right in, cracked the window and everything else. And here's this partridge laying there. Anyway, everybody was saying, oh, I'll have a big feast. We'll have a partridge dinner, whatever. Pat Egan put it in his bag. He took it home and cooked it. He never even passed around anyone. But he took it to a chef, and that's the truth. The chef says, you Eat can't the... cook that. He says, there's glass all through that partridge. He was going to take that. That's... It's the way Pat was. No wonder he sent me to Three Rivers in Germany. Sure, sure used to love to twist necks. Remember, he thought he was a chiropractor. Yeah, and if you didn't allow him, I'll never forget the one night uh, he called me down, and he said, uh, it was a Friday night. We always play Saturday. And he said, uh, I want to see you. Oh, I said, I, finally, I'm getting traded. It's a Friday night at 10.30. Like, I'm going to be traded. So I went down to the rink, and the rink is in darkness. And anyway, I found my way, naturally, through those eight years of being there. I found my way to the dress room. There's Shore in there. And he says, get on the table. I said, for what? He says, I want to crack your back and your neck. And I said, I'm not letting you crack my back. And there's nothing wrong with me. He said, I noticed the way you're skating today. Get on there. And he said, uh, or go home. And he says, you're not playing tomorrow. And I said, well, I'm not getting on the table. So I went back home. And here, Judy was waiting, thinking, should she pack? Because am I traded? No, I just wasn't getting my neck cracked. I went down the next day. And at the time, I was one of our leading scorers a team, one of them. Bill Sweeney was always there, too. And uh, I wasn't allowed to play that night. The trainer came to me, Wally Barlow. He says, Brian, um, you're not playing tonight. I said, why? He said, because you wouldn't let Shore crack your neck. Oh, I had to let Shore crack my back and my neck Remember in front of the team so I could play that night. How <laughs> about Bob McCord? Ruined his back. Bobby walked with an S. But he, he felt good, though, because <laughs> Eddie told him, you're really healthy now, walked in an S. I remember he was twisting like that. He was twisting like that, twisting a guy like that. And Denny Olson was there. And he's twisting. We're all watching. It's all quiet. And Denny says, do any of those things ever come off yeah. in your head? Did any of and that Eddie's hands, he had big, thick fingers, just like that. Yeah. And it, he was grabbing his head, and he was pulling up. And that's what Denny Olson said. Did one of those ever come off in your hand, Ed? <laughs> <laughs> and I'll tell you, Eddie Shore, so serious, so sincere, he just turned around. He was just venom. And he just turned around and he said to Olsen, he said, did you say something? Everyone else broke up. Like, yeah. how could you not laugh yeah. at that line? Yeah. It was a great line. Yeah. Except Jock, Jock Caron, he came, I, I told you this before, he, Jock Caron came about 6-1. He left 6-3 and a half. Eddie just had that <laughs> neck stretch. <laughs> you know, Tim, I could tell you a few stories. I, I, I could tell you uh, how, stories how he was really, I really, they call him eccentric because he was rich. He was very rich. He invested in the ice volleys, uh, and he was really rich. He really was, so you can't... Uh, but anyhow, I, I never liked him, and I still don't like him. I, I'll tell you a story. We were at a training camp, and there was a guy, come, a young boy, I'd say he's about 21 years old, came from Springfield, and he, he was a real fan of Springfield Indians. And I remember one time I was leaving the arena and uh, after a practice at training camp, and I heard this crying, and the guys had locked him in a stick room. It's like a cage, like a... And, I had to go get the trainer, and I, you know, I kind of felt sorry for him. So I knew he was a great fan of ours, so I'm a great guy, as you, as you know, as everybody knows. Well, a lot of people, some people think. Anyhow, 
I go and get I get two dollars from everybody, and there was about thirty guys there. And we got him a I, I got him a a big a beautiful beautiful jacket, same color. I went downtown, got the same color. I went to the uh, trainer, and I asked the trainer if he had any uh, crests or anything with it. He just happened to have in his box there. He had a, of tools and that. He had a beautiful Chanel uh, crest of uh, of the Springfield Indians. I took it to a shoemaker that had, uh, and he sewed it on. So I presented it to them. The kid was crying, and it was beautiful like that. So after di- after dinner, I uh, get the word from Pat Egan, the coach, that uh, Shore wants to see me. So I go into his room. I can remember. It was like it was yesterday. He says, "Why did you get that jacket for that boy?" And I said, "I don't know. I just thought it'd be nice. You know, he's a Springfield. He's you got it because you burnt his other one. Like I'm looking." You know, I should have said, you know, I've been a nice guy and everything. I said, think what you like. He says, you burnt that boy's vo-. That's the way. That's the way he was. But we got back at him lots of ways. I mean, you, there's, there's a way you could get back on him on the ice. And I, I remember one time, I remember, forget the guy's name, was Jack Gypsy. So we were doing two-on-one, and he's screaming at me and everything like that. And then the, and coming down, I see Jack Chipchase backing up. He's a big guy. And he hit he hit Shore. I I thought he was dead. His hat flipped in the air and everything like that. Got up. I'll tell you one thing, boy. He was a tough guy. He could. He was as tough as they said. I guess when he played, he used to come out with a cape. He was an MVP. I think he got four MVPs. He was a great defenseman. They tell a great story of the time he missed the train. Something happened on the train. He got on the wrong train or something like that. And they played in Montreal. And he hired a chauffeur in a limousine to get to Montreal to get to the game. He wasn't afraid of anybody. He just did it because that's the kind of guy he was. And the, and the limousine went on. They were driving from Boston to, uh, and the limousine went off the road into the snow. He got the car out sometime, drove all the way, he drove the rest of the way. He wouldn't, wouldn't pay any attention. I, I tell you a story about him, too, in the restaurant after. Drove all the way, uh, got there, he was dead tired. Uh, had never had a nap or anything. One, one, nothing. He scored the winning goal and got fined fifty bucks for missing the train. I remember him. I remember he never liked me. And uh, I, I'll tell you about that. I was the, I was a whipping boy. I remember one time in training camp, I hadn't even stepped on the ice. I just put my gloves on. Yet, Mister Cherry, that's what he used to call me, Mister Cherry. He used to say, "I'll send you to Madagascar." I remember I never could figure out why he wanted to send me to Madagascar. I looked it up. It was an island away off Af- Africa. I remember him yelling at me, if you could visualize that in reality your maneuverability is nil and you don't have to steam those guys off the boards. I mean, it was okay for him. Like he could go into the boards, take the puck off the guy and gone. He didn't realize, like, like most superstars, that other guys couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Nobody else could do it. We thought we'd play a little trick on him all the time. Uh, I remember one of the guys at the company, right idea of putting a cherry bomb in his a big, beautiful Cadillac he had, big, light blue Cadillac. It was about four blocks long. So we thought it was funny. The guy went in and put it, and I don't know how you hook it up. I didn't know how you did it. So we watched, and he went to start it, and boom, a cherry bomb went off. Boy, did we pay after that. I mean, I, I mean... I mean, we paid in every way you could think of. The equipment was lousy. I remember the guys never washed their their underwear after. Imagine not what the underwear. Some of the underwear used to stand up in a corner by itself, 
and it was just terrible. I used to what I used to didn't wear underwear, but I wear a long uh, t-shirt with the sleeves cut off, and I used to wash it all the time. It used to make fun of me, my jock, but the rest of the guys I never I, all across their back. I know it's an awful thing to say. They had boils across their back because they did not wash, they did not wash their underwear. I mean, it doesn't sound much now, but you be in and you in the dressing room with 15 guys that didn't wash their underwear, and the trainer would never wash it either. It would actually stand. I know it's hard to believe, but the underwear would actually stand in a corner by itself. It's the funny thing is they still call the, the players the black aces now that don't play. Now, the reason they call them black aces is that they always wore black sweaters, and the reason we wore black sweaters, you never had to wash them. You know, no, I could go on and on and on. I know I get carried away talking about Eddie Shore. I got more stories to tell about him. We'll do that another time. But I remember when they made the, my life story, they had Stephen McCaddy. Is that his name, Tim? Yep, Steve McCaddy. Steve McCaddy. And he, got, he must have listened to Shore somehow and, and got his fedora. And when I, first, when I first saw him, he looked more like Eddie Shore. I couldn't believe. He, I was scared. Now, don't ask me why, why you were scared of this little guy. Molly wasn't, he was five foot ten. Why everybody was terrified of him. But I remember Stephen McCaddy, what a great job he did. He, he acted just like him. I think you said to him, Tim, you said to Stephen McCaddy, you said, can you skate? And he's a Canadian guy, and boy, did he give it to you. Yeah, he just came and gave me a look. He just, yes, I can skate. <laughs> but, Tim, as we go, tell a story about... Uh, the last time anybody in our family had uh, about, uh, and I never, I've never forgot this. And I was the, I was the lowest of low, and I'll tell you more stories about him. But I never forgot you telling me the story how you and Rose met him at the Boston Gardens. Yeah, we were, uh, we were at a game, and um, the game was going on, and uh, I had to go to the washroom, so Mom had to take me. I would have been about eleven at the ten or eleven at the time. And we were walking down the halls of the gardens, and it was completely empty because the game was going on. And I saw a gentleman coming, and he had a cane, and he had a, uh, a fedora on. And m- Mom saw him, and ca- we kind of slowed down, and he came up, and Mom looked at me and says, Do you know who this person is? I, like, I've never been. I said, is Clarence Campbell? And he, he laughed. He said, No. And he goes, this is Eddie Shore. And he goes, hello, young man. And he goes, do you play hockey? And I said, yes. And, and he looked at mom and he says, Rose, he says, Don's coaching the Boston Bruins. You must be very proud. And uh, mom said, yes, I am, Eddie. And he says, uh, good luck. And he just, and he walked on. And you know, one thing about that, Tim, you tell me that story. I kind of get choked up ta- hearing about it, that I was the lowest of low on his team. And the one thing I, about Eddie Shore that I remember you telling me that story. He hadn't seen Rose in about 20 years, and he still remembered her name. 